everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. Amen. I believe that. I believe he'll show us who he is. If we seek him, what does the scripture say? If we seek him, we will find him. Amen. Does anybody believe that in this place? Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. As you are turning there, I would uh, like to say thank you to the Hussies. Thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, teach the young adults class, and thank you to all of you. It would be really weird if I just showed up here by myself in this empty room. Uh, so I appreciate all of your time uh, that you would be here, even if you didn't know it was me. Uh, we just happened to be here, and I'm happy about that. So thank you for being here. So the book of Acts chapter 1, starting in verse number 4. This is a, a moment in time when Jesus is meeting with his apostles for the last time on earth. Uh, and, and this is what happens. It says, And being assembled together with them, Jesus with the apostles, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Somebody say, wait. 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 Which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Somebody say the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Not many days since. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Aren't you going to get rid of this army that's occupying us? Aren't you going to uh, turn things back the way they used to be? And this is what Jesus says. He says to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But watch this. He says, But ye shall receive power. Somebody say, Ye shall receive power. It might not be the power that they were expecting, but there was going to be power that was coming into their life. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, you should be a witness. <laughs> unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And verse 9 says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. You can put your Bibles down, and just for the next couple moments, I would like to preach to you tonight what to do when he's out of sight. What to do when he's out of sight. Why don't you just lift your hands and lift your voice and praise to God. Ask him that he would be with us in this service. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful that we have the opportunity to gather in your name, God. And we believe that when we do that, things can be done miraculously to change our lives, Lord. Whether it be the Holy Ghost coming. God, whether it be empowerment for ministry. God, whatever it could be, I know that you are not limited tonight but that you would be active and we pray that you would be in this place, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Amen. The year was 1974 and it was August 9th. The city that they were in was Washington, D.C. And 
The house they were in was located at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. What house is that? Somebody tell me. The White House. There we go. They were located at the White House, and uh, the occasion of what's happening on this August 9th, 1974, was that Richard Nixon was giving his last statements to the White House before he was going to leave the presidency. And we, we might not know the circumstances that Nixon was having to leave the presidency under. Um, we probably don't, because uh, we're not 60 years old. Uh, but... The reason he was having to leave was because the day before, <laughs> the day before he had resigned due to Watergate. Somebody say Watergate. Watergate. We talk about it a lot. And although I, I think up like a month ago, I, I couldn't have really told you what it was. Uh, sadly, don't tell Eric Rozier. Uh, <laughs> but it still lives on today, uh, Brother Titus. It lives on today because it's where we get the suffix for a lot of the scandals that happen today, right? Uh, we know about deflate gate. We know about deflate gate, sadly. We know about deflate. Was, of course, if you don't know, it was when the, the Cheatriots or the, the Patriots, they deflated the footballs and uh, they beat the Colts. They beat us. And so that was deflate gate. And then uh, you guys probably remember about a year ago, there was something else. It was called slap gate. Slap gate. And... Uh, I was expecting a bigger laugh at that. Um, that's all right. Uh, we're moving on. Uh, no, if you didn't know what that was, somebody tell me what that was. It, it, was, when, <laughs> it was when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Ah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> it was when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. We're not going to talk too much about that, but that was Slapgate. Um, this one you probably haven't heard of. This was Eggate, Eggate, and this was when a young Australian boy uh, took an egg and crushed it on the head of an Australian politician when he was on TV because he disagreed with his policies, and uh, that was Eggate. So although we might not know exactly what Watergate is, and, and just a quick summary, and uh, I don't want to be graded on this if I get something wrong, but uh, essentially it was... Uh, people had broken to the Democratic National Convention's headquarters. And uh, the reason that it's called Watergate is because it was located at the Watergate building. That's where their offices were located. And um, these people were actually, one of them was the head of this committee. And the committee happened to be called the Committee to Reelect the President, also known as CREEP. Uh, and the, the committee was, it was meant to keep Richard Nixon uh, in office. And so, although there wasn't necessarily tons of proof that Nixon was involved in this break-in of uh, the opposite party, there was tapes that later came out called the smoking gun tapes uh, that Nixon appeared to be trying to obstruct the investigation. So I say all that to say that that's why Richard Nixon resigned. And he, as you might know, is the only president to ever resign from office. This job that they worked so hard to get, like probably most of us when we were a kid, we told some adult sometime, I'm going to be the president when I grow up. And the adult said, yeah, yeah, you probably will be. Um, if they, I don't know, I guess if they were scared to tell you the truth. But, but Nixon was one of those guys who actually ended up doing it. He actually became the president, but because of the scandal, he had to resign. And so what happens 
on August 9th, 1974, is that Nixon, he comes to the White House for the last time, and he looks at everybody, and he's greeted with, like, thunderous applause. And you can watch the video, uh, uh, Anthony. You could watch it, and it's a little weird because it's like, wait, did, didn't he commit a crime? Like, isn't it's a little strange. But he's talking to the people who had worked for him, and uh, they give him a huge round of applause, and he leaves, and he's walking out, and he gives, and he had just got done crying like a maniac on national television in front of all of America watching, and he walks out, and he gets on this helicopter, and Gabe, I, I gave Gabe a photo right before service, and Gabe, I don't know if you guys have it over there. If you... <laughs> and this is what he does. He gets on a helicopter, and he gives everybody the peace signs, and he gets in that helicopter, and he just flies away. And he just keeps going, and he keeps going, and he keeps going, and it's the president of the United States. <laughs> it's the guy who's in charge of the whole country, and he just flies away. He just leaves, and all of America is just standing there on the White House lawn like, what do we do now? <laughs> so I'm not trying to draw any moral equivalencies between Nixon and Jesus, so please don't say <laughs> Let me just say that right now. Uh, but I do think as Americans, maybe we can, maybe we can try to understand this narrative. Uh, although we maybe did not live it, the, the country of America lived that. And we should probably take this off the screen if we can, because I, I don't think I can compete with that as far as the, the peace signs. But we, our, the country lived that, right? The country lived that moment, and it was the apostles were now living a, a moment that I'm sure they were also very confused because they're standing there on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus has just talked to them for the last time. And again, he wasn't leaving because he made a mistake, right? He was leaving because he fulfilled his purpose on the earth. But uh, they stand there, and they're just looking up, and Jesus says the last thing he's going to say to them, and then Jesus, he, I don't know if he did it, but he maybe gave them the peace signs, probably, probably not, and then he just starts like floating up in the air, and they just watch him as he goes away, and he just he disappears in a cloud. And uh, that's what it says in, in verse number 10. It says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now, I don't know how long they stood there watching. And that's what I would like to know, Brother Hussey. And maybe someday in heaven we could ask this question because was it 30 seconds? Was it 15 minutes? Was it 30 minutes? Jesus, where'd you go? You can come back now. We know you can fly, but it's not funny anymore. Is it? No, it, it wasn't anything like that. He, he had just resurrected and they were wondering why he was having to leave again. And they stand there watching and they stand there for such a long time that the angels there, they, they say, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. How many believe that today? That just as Jesus left into a cloud, someday He will return in a cloud. Someday He will return and He's coming for the church, I want to tell you. He's coming for the people who continued on with the apostolic identity that the apostles had. And He's coming for people who are continuing to do the things He said to do before He left. 
And this is what we have to do in our lives. It's what the apostles did. So what did they do? Verse 12, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room. And verse 14 says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. This is what they do. They leave that moment with Jesus, confusing as it might have been, concerning as it might have been to see the foundation and fulfillment of their religion just taken up from them in a crowd. And they immediately say, well, he said to go to Jerusalem. He said to go and to wait. To go and to wait until a power comes. And so while they leave that place, they decide that they're going to go into an upper room. And what do they find themselves doing when he's out of sight? What do they find themselves doing when he's no longer there giving them direct instructions? They're there in the upper room. They are praying. They have supplication and they are in one accord. And this is what the church has to do today. When we don't see Jesus working. When it doesn't feel like he's right there walking alongside us anymore. If it doesn't feel like he is right there with us, maybe in the way that he was, we should continue to do the thing that he told us last time. And it's always the will of God that we would be praying in supplication. It's always the will of God that we would be unified one with another. And so when you don't know what to do, I'm here to tell you, find an upper room. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, find an upper room. Find an upper room. The apostles had a choice. They could have stood there, right? Looking up into the sky and they could have said, wow, this was the weirdest three years of my life. (laughs) Jesus showed up and he was healing people. He was raising people from the dead. He told me to quit my job and to move my family and just follow him around and and now he just leaves me here and, and he, he gives me some instructions and they, they could have said this was weird or this was strange. My experience with God, uh, it wasn't normal. It wasn't like everybody in the world says uh, I should live my life. And they could have said I'm just going to go back to being a fisherman. I'm just going to go back to being a, a tax collector. But watch this because if they would have done that, they would have missed out on the power coming from God. If they would have skipped the upper room, they would have never had the ministry. They would have never had the unity with the brethren. They would have never had the the great family that they would have had. They would have never had salvation for their souls if they would have skipped the upper room. If they would have left that place with Jesus and decided to go back to what they had been doing previously. The apostles had a choice. We have this choice. Somebody say, we have the same choice. And you see it all the time. People can have uh, experiences with God. We can have, uh, Brother Dennett, these moments with God where maybe for 15 years we see someone live so strong for God or for 20 years or even longer or maybe even just right now where we are with young adults, maybe 25 years, 22 years, 18, 30. However many years you've been having this experience with God, this walk with God, and then God tells them to go do something. And he doesn't seem maybe so near. But sometimes God tells us to go move from one place to another so that we can actually get closer to him. 
And it's not that he left, but it's that he's trying to draw us deeper into a, a, a more powerful relationship with him. And this is the same thing with the apostles. And so uh, when we have this same choice in our lives to choose whether or not we're going to live for God, you could uh, see maybe even some people say, well, it's weird to live like that. It's weird to do those things. It's, uh, I don't necessarily believe that I need to uh, wear pants at my warehouse job in 100-degree heat, right? I, I was there. And, uh, and I'm saying it kind of as a joke, but it's also like why sometimes we might wonder, man, isn't it weird that we do some of the things we do? And we see people our age constantly evaluate the church in this way and say, uh, maybe it's not for me. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, a cult. Maybe it's some type of alternate lifestyle. It's not normal. It's not necessary. But I just want to tell somebody tonight that you cannot abandon this apostolic identity. That you cannot abandon this Pentecostal blessing. That this is not something that we could just walk away from and say, well, it was good for that time in my life, but now I know better. Now I am more educated. Now I make more money and now I have better opportunities. The world has more for me. And so I step away from the thing that kept me in the difficult times. And it's not a crutch for anybody, but it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believeth. It is what we need for every... Come on, I'm trying to reach for somebody tonight. You might feel like that it's time to move on. I'm here to tell you, you can't move on from the upper room. You can't move on from a supernatural experience with a Savior. Come on. You can't abandon this. You can't abandon this faith. You can't abandon it. It might not feel like He's right there with you anymore. It might not feel like maybe you... Feel you don't see him working anymore. Maybe you feel like, I don't know why I got to walk this road to Jerusalem alone. I don't know why he seemed like he left me, or maybe his voice doesn't ring as strong in my ears as it used to. When you don't know what to do, go back to the upper room. When he's out of sight, he can never be out of mind. But you've got to put your eyes on Jesus. You've got to look full and His wonderful. Come on, I'm here to tell somebody tonight that we cannot abandon this. But it's got to be something so deep within us. It has to be tied to our very identity. If you believe that, say amen. Because this is the thing. Whether we would like to abandon it, we, we really are not even able to. The, the psalmist said, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. If I just go try to uh, get caught up in all the darkness that I can. And you see this when people leave the church. You see this when they make that decision. It's not for me anymore. It's weird. It's a cult. It's, it, it's not what I want to be involved with. I can do better things. You see it. If I go, if I say the darkness will cover me, guess what? Even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Even if we would try to hide from the presence of God. Even if we would try to deny what we have experienced, you will never be able to do it. 
You will never be able to do it. You will never escape the omnipotent and omnipresent presence of God. You will never be able to remove yourself from his presence. You might not feel like he's there, but there will be that moment of conviction. There will be that time when you really are caused to come to yourself and evaluate just like the prodigal son there lying in the pig pen thinking, man, even at my father's house, are there servants not treated better than this? Because the world's lifestyle is never going to offer you more than what the lifestyle for Jesus Christ can offer you. So before you decide that this is no longer for me and I make my own decisions now, just know this, you're never going to be able to get away from the presence of God. But He will always be there. So why is the upper room so important? Many reasons. It's, and we talked about it earlier, Acts 1.8, right? But ye shall receive power, right? But it's not just empowerment for ministry. But it's necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He said in, in, in John 7 that he that believeth on me as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he spoke that of the Holy Ghost. And that's why the scripture says here in our, our text when we first started reading, I've talked to you about this. I've told you about this Holy Ghost. You know what you're waiting for. If you've been listening, if you've been hearing what the Spirit was saying, you would know that this is what's coming in the upper room. And it's not just for empowerment, although that's a necessary part, but it's just even for our salvation. We can't leave the upper room. Acts 1.8, again, taking your attention back to it, such a powerful scripture. It says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You're going to be witnesses to me. To the people living close to you who are Israelites. To the people living far away from you who are Israelites. To the Samaritans and to the Gentiles, to the uttermost part of the earth. So what do we receive power for? What is this uh, empowerment for ministry? What is this? And it says it right here. Ye shall be witnesses. Somebody say witnesses. 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 Now watch this. It says to be a witness. Not give a witness. Not preach a witness. Not seeing a witness. To be a witness. Because a witness is not something that you do. It's something that you are. Right? So when they, it's like today in the court system, when they say bring the witness before the court, they're not just talking about the words that that person will say, but they're saying bring that person before the courtroom because this person standing here, it's not just what they say. It's not just what they could write down, but it's them as a human being. It's their story. And they stand as the greatest testament of evidence to all of us in this room because they lived it. They have a testimony and that's why we must acknowledge it. And so today in our lives, we've got to be that 
that witness in the room. We've got to be the person that it's not just what we say, but it is who we are. The Holy Ghost has come into our life and it has changed us so completely that it's not just what I would like to be. It's not just maybe what I think in my mind, but down to my soul, down to what will last for eternity. It has changed me. It has helped conform me into the image of Christ. It has guided me to walk a different way. And so I talk different. I do things different. And that is what a witness is. That Greek word that's translated into witnesses in Acts 1-8 is, is martus. And that's probably the worst way anyone's ever said it. Or martus or something like that. Uh, and and what, what does that word sound like anything to us? Martus, smart, mart, martyr. Yes, martyr. It's, where, it's actually where we get our English word martyr for. The word martyr comes originally from the ancient Greek legal term for witness. It comes originally from that word that's used. So this is the point. Because the upper room is, just as Jesus said, right, when he talks to the apostles, and he said, uh, if you want to follow me, let every man deny himself, take up their cross daily, and follow me. How many remember when Jesus said that? Or you've read that when Jesus said, you've got to deny yourself, you've got to take up your cross, and you've got to follow me. We're expected to die to our selfish desires. We're expected to die to our flesh for the cause of Christ. And uh, maybe not physically like the apostles did, how they literally were martyrs, how they literally were stoned and speared and crucified and killed. Uh, Maybe, hopefully, that doesn't happen to us. Uh, But every day, we're expected to pick up that cross just like Jesus said we would have to do. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what happens in the upper room. You become a witness because you identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When that Holy Ghost comes and they spoke in other tongues, that is them identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ because as Paul would write, that it was that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body in the day of His appearing. And so what happens in in the book of Acts chapter 2 is when they're all there praying and they're all waiting and they're in one accord exactly like we should be in our lives today. They're taking that step to gain entrance into the kingdom of God, yes, but they're doing it because now they're identifying with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what comes next. Because we're not supposed to stay in the upper room. It's a place we have to get to. And I'm sure you've heard Pastor Carson even say multiple times he thinks there should be a breakthrough of the Holy Ghost every day. I I would be honest and say that 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 was not my lifestyle before I had heard him say that and it it should have been definitely but I remember hearing him say that and just uh, how transformative that is for your life to say every day every day I'm going to have a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost every day I'm going to get that upper room experience because that's where they received entrance into the kingdom that's where they received empowerment for ministry the revival that God brings into our lives 
is not the revival literally of our, of our soul causing us to have new life. It's not just for us as we know. How many believe that in this place? It's not just for me. It's not just for you. But it's for everybody. It should spill out into the streets just like it did on the day of Pentecost when the 120 experienced that exponential revival where there was only 120 people in that room. Now think about that for a moment. 120 people, to me, seems like a small number to be associated with the ministry of Jesus. To think of all the, many, all the miracles he did and the times where he spoke to the people, even he, he would be in a boat uh, and they would be right off the water so that his voice could project better over the water and the thousands of people that he fed, the thousands of people that he talked to. And, and I don't know, probably some historian has gone and done the research and I wouldn't know, but I would say that how many hundreds of thousands of people did his ministry reach, right? It's impossible to know. Truly, we know it was thousands and thousands and thousands. And here there are 120 in the upper room. After he had literally rose from the dead. And so this is the point tonight, and this is where I want to bring it home for us as young adults, is a cynical person could look at this group, and I don't know how many are here tonight, maybe 50 people, 40, something like that, and say, what good could 40 people do to change the city of Indianapolis? What could such a small amount of people do? And how many apostolic young people are, are in this city? Probably, I don't know, a thousand people who, I don't know. I probably shouldn't just make up statistics on the spot. But I truly don't know. But it, I'll tell you, it's the minority. It's the vanishingly small minority. And so a cynical person could look at that and say, you're not going to reach the world. This is, this is too weird. It's... It, you, you don't really have what you say you have. You say you're supposed to be salt and light, but there are other denominations, pack out churches way more. We could look at a small number of people, and if we were cynical, if we were negative, if we didn't believe that the power of God could really change a human life, then we could say, well, yeah, we can't do it. We, uh, business practices aren't going to get you there. Showing up and talking about how we can uh, give a witness better or how we can talk better to people on the street is not going to get us there. But if we can get into the upper room, if we can get into a moment of prayer and supplication to God where He's able to just pour out His Spirit upon us, and if we can open our hearts hearts to him to the point that it would not be limited the things that he wants to do then I'm here to tell you revival could spill out onto the streets of Indianapolis that people could come to church who have never known God people with addictions people with problems in life such as homelessness things uh, that were so so uh, difficult to even imagine but if we can get the Holy Ghost in our lives then we can do anything because it's not about the 120 it's about the one who sends his spirit to anybody, he will listen. Come on, if you believe that tonight, just clap your hands unto the Lord. Come on, I think he's able to do it. I think he's able to do it. I don't think it's about us as much as it's about him. Hallelujah. This is why, this is, and I don't know, I believe it because it's been my own experience, of course, and it's been all of our experience, and that's why we believe it. That's why it builds our faith when we talk about it. But I've had family members, when they came to God, they were living messed up lives. My grandpa, I don't, some of you might know this, he was, he was homeless. He was not homeless as a child, he was homeless as a grown man for years. He came to God, he, he got saved during his lunch hour. 
because somebody witnessed to him where he worked at Chevrolet in a factory. And he was on the roof just praising God and God filled him with the Spirit. And he didn't live a perfect life and he, he's died a few years ago and it, things weren't always, he, he had some issues. It was a hard life for sure, but he was able to get a home. He was able to have a church. He was able to have a better relationship with his family. He was able to be transformed by the power of God. And if God can do it for my grandpa on his lunch break, God can do it for any one of our family members. God can do it for anybody out on the street. Thank you, G. God, I believe you can do it. I believe you can do it. It was same as true my... My mom, and I know many of you, she goes to this church, and many of you uh, know her, and uh, it's really crazy when I think about it, because this happened when I was a kid, and so I didn't really experience uh, this in my life a lot, but she uh, she smoked um, cigarettes when I was born, even, and before she got into church, and she was addicted to cigarettes. I tried to quit, wasn't able to quit when she was just trying to use her own willpower and her own strength, and she came to church and she had prayed a prayer one time and she said that God had just totally taken the desire out of her to smoke a cigarette. She has never touched another cigarette. Something that's so difficult that psychologists would say is one of the most difficult things, one of the most difficult patterns to break in your mind to the point where your body will literally have withdrawals. And she for 20, and now this is the amazing thing and this is, I know that it's a miracle from God because my dad still after she was able to give it up smoked for years after that and she lived with a, a spouse who smoked and she was able and I it's and uh, my dad he never came to church and uh, he never was born again he never had that experience and I, I saw him many times try to quit smoking and I saw him I would see him a couple days later and he'd have the cigarette back in his hand and I would say dad I thought you it's really sad when I talk about it now but I would say dad I thought you were trying to quit and and he would say well I was trying and just didn't work out. It's, it's, it's such a hard thing to try to break out of. But my mom was able to stop doing it in one moment, live with someone who continued to do it for years after that and never went back to it again. That is the transformative power of the Spirit of God when it enters into your life. So if we could all stand tonight. And I'm, I'm going to close. And What do we do when he's out of sight? What do we do when we don't feel the super, uh, maybe impressive direction for our lives, what we should need to do or what we should do next? And go back to the basics. Go back to the upper room. Submit yourself to God. And I mean that. It's so true. It'll work. You guys know. You know how to get a hold of God. You know what it took for you to receive the Holy Ghost in that first time. It took that total surrender. It took that faith that He loved you. That He cared enough about you to send His Spirit to you. And if that moment hasn't happened for you yet, I'm here to tell you God loves you. The promise of God is for you, just as it was for the apostles in that upper room, just as it was for anybody in this place who's had that experience. God wants to fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He wants to fill you with His Spirit because it's transformative and it'll change your life. And there's nothing better in this earth that we could experience 
other than the power of God coming inside of us. So much more than just uh, us maybe being able to see a miracle. And, and I love that and I, I hope we see it. And I love when it happens in the church and it raises our faith. And I've seen miracles in my own life. But just to have that fellowship with God. Just to have that relationship. Man, He loves us tonight. Does anybody believe that? He cares about us. He wants to be with us. The upper room is not a one-time experience. The upper room is not something that we just come to one point in our lives and we leave and we never think about it again. But it's something we got to use every day. Something that we've got to be able to recenter ourselves. So if you're in this place tonight and you feel like it's been a while before you've heard something from the Lord. If you feel like it's been a minute since you knew what you should do for God. I want to tell you, take this time. Take five minutes. Take 30 seconds. Take however long you need to get into the presence of God. Come on, He's got a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for you. Just begin to lift it up right now. Lord, we need you. In